All right, we are live. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. Today, I am talking to Ed Thompson. We're live at Microsoft Ignite. Ed, do you want to say hi? Yeah, hi. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at reactroundup.com slash kendoui. I'm really curious if you could just tell people who you are, what you work on. Absolutely. Yeah, my name is Edward Thompson. I'm a program manager for the Azure DevOps team. Okay. And uh, so you just had Donovan on. Yeah. Talked uh, to him about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, so I won't give you the pitch on what Azure DevOps is because right. I'm sure that Donovan did a good job explaining. Yeah, folks, uh, rewind two episodes and you'll you'll get that one. Excellent. So uh, so yeah, so I work mostly on Azure repos, which is the uh -huh. Git hosting side of okay. Azure DevOps, and then Azure pipelines, which mm -hmm. is our continuous integration and continuous delivery build and release service. And good deal. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. So I'm I'm happy that it's now like its own kind of separate thing. Mm -hmm. So part of the move from Visual Studio Team Services into Azure DevOps was taking these into individual components mm -hmm. so that if somebody is using, I don't know, Jira for their work right. item tracking and GitHub for their source code, they could still adopt Azure pipelines without having to you know, adopt the rest of Visual Studio Team Services. Right. So now that they're separate services, it's it's. I think it's really great. Yeah, Donovan basically pointed out that you can go into your UI and just turn off all the menus for all that stuff. That's right. You don't even have to see it. If you're not using it, you don't have this bloated UI. That's exactly right, yeah. I think a lot of people would look at Visual Studio Team Services and think that they had to adopt it all. Um, yeah. And so... Uh, it, it's an easy thing to do. I mean, yeah. th this is the problem I have with IDEs in general is that there are about 100 million features that I don't use, and then about six that I use all the time, and probably another 10 or so that I use on occasion. Right, exactly. Yeah. So Yeah, so that, the, the goal was to do exactly that, to just kind of make it easier to get to those, yep. those features that you do use. Yep, makes sense. So uh, repos and pipelines. Yes. I, I, I'm going to dive right in. Okay. So, so let's talk first about repos, because I think that's something that everybody's familiar with. Sure, absolutely. So Microsoft just acquired GitHub. So are you cannibalizing GitHub? I mean, what? <laughs> I don't know. So, okay, so technically, so I've got to say this. Technically, we, we have not yet acquired GitHub. Okay. We, we announced that we were going to acquire GitHub. There's all sorts of like... Oh, yes, that's right. ...regulatory and all, you know, it takes, it yeah. takes a while to we, actually We've had some GitHub folks on the show, too, and they're like, well... It's not done, and we have to operate like we're independent companies. That's and, right. Yeah, blah, 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 yeah. right? So and I've got to say that. So Yeah, it's the end of September right now as we record this. So it may have gone through by the time this goes live. We'll, okay. we'll see. Cool. Well, if so, awesome. Um, and I, I'm going to sound like I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, no. I think it'll come out end of October. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what the time looks. Anyway. So, yeah. So... Azure repos and GitHub are definitely going to remain independent things, right. at least for a while, because they're they're both very good at different things. Mm -hmm. So GitHub, obviously, it's the host, the the home for open source. Azure repos, though, is we use it within Microsoft in a very different way to how we could use GitHub. We have right. huge repositories in there, like Windows. Mm -hmm. Windows is the biggest Git repository in the world. We had to do oh, all really? these. Oh man, it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So there are 4,000 engineers working in the Windows repository on okay. a day-to-day -day basis. And wow, that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> it's 
I, I wouldn't say it's a nightmare, you know, because everybody works in their own little right. areas. But you have to highly coordinate stuff. Yeah, yeah. But their, their Git repository is several hundred gigabytes. So, yeah, it's insane. So oh, we had to do all this engineering to support uh -huh. that because, like, Git itself out of the box just doesn't cope. So we built this tool called VFS for Git. It's the mm -hmm. virtual file system for Git. And it basically, when you run clone on this repository, it doesn't clone down everything. It doesn't bring down all of the source code. It doesn't bring down all of the history because that would be immense. Right. And working That's what it does on my machine when I use it. That's right. And we do that with all our other repositories except Windows. Okay. Windows is this special thing that we created VFS for Git for. And, you know, this was a, a, a real challenging hardcore thing, I'll engineering bet. effort between the Windows team and us. So there's like kernel uh -huh. modules involved. It's it's insane. When you clone the Windows repository down, what you get is nothing. You, you, it mm -hmm. actually doesn't download any files. It just, it finishes in like, I don't know, a couple minutes. Um, <laughs> Here be placeholders. That's right. It, that's exactly what it is. And when you run dir, you see that the files are there, but they, they're not. And when uh -huh. you go to open them, it kind of pages them in on demand. Right. Uh, kind of like OneDrive, the, the uh -huh. OneDrive thing that does that same thing. It's the yeah. same idea. In fact, it's a lot of the same technology. OneDrive on demand, I think it's called. And so that's, that's VFS for Git. And mm -hmm. that's the sort of thing that the Azure repo supports that nobody else does. Right. So they're not... We're not going to like start mixing and matching, mm -hmm. and you know they're they're going to remain independent Fair entities. Enough. Yeah, Fair enough. yeah. But it's a great question. I'm super excited to see GitHub as part of Microsoft. So I actually used to work mm -hmm. at GitHub. So I'm I'm really excited okay. to see all those people come back and be closer organizationally to me. But yeah, no, I think I think GitHub will just kind of stay its own thing for a little while. It's it's funny talking about GitHub too because I remember when Chris and Tom were talking about it at RubyConf and RailsConf. Right. So right. Uh, it's yeah. it's come a long way. It, it, it certainly has. God. It's a it's a force to be reckoned with now. But That's the truth. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, beyond the VFS, right? I mean, are are we are we talking about any other features, or is it just basically Git, and then all the other features come in with the rest of Azure DevOps? Yeah. I mean, we do have some sort of unique features, I guess. We've got like uh, branch policies, mm -hmm. um, which I guess now most people have, but I, I think our branch policies were. Uh, perhaps one of the first iterations, you know, so you can require that people use pull requests that you can't just run git push master, git push origin master and right. have it do something. Um, you've got to use pull requests and like your CI has to build mm -hmm. and pass and those sorts of things. So I think there's a lot of richness in our auditing and our like <laughs> compliance framework right. that we build around, uh, around that. So we've got some real enterprise focused uh, git functionality, but at its core, you know, I mean, it's still, it's still just git. Right. So that's that's the great thing about everybody using Git is we've kind of standardized on this mm -hmm. version control system, and so we can all interoperate. It's great. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and for people who haven't set up their own Git server, and I'm not talking about like go find like the GitLab install or whatever, just setting up Git. Right. It's a half hour and a little bit of work on Bash. It so. definitely is. And that's if you're on like Linux. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. If you're on Windows, it's even worse. It's it's a little more involved. Yeah. Yeah, I'm afraid because so. it's not like you can just set up Apache, right? You got to figure out how to make it work with IIS, which I tried to do once, and yeah. then I installed the STS instead. So, yeah, well, the way that I've done it, you know, you just S you know, you use the SSH method of pushing and pulling. Sure, but, but yeah, um, so yeah, it's it's always more interesting to talk about Git in terms of what people have built on top of it than I think so. So, so you can set up repos. I talked to Donovan. I just want to clarify a couple of things for folks. You can try. 
Azure DevOps for free. Yes. Up to five users. And um, you get unlimited private repos. You do. Which you do. is something that I, I know that some people are interested in outside of GitHub because GitHub makes you pay for them. That it does, yeah. So, yeah, so unlimited private repos for up to five users and public yeah. repos too, of course. Right. But. And I've also used Bitbucket, but I hated it. So, I, I'm sorry to hear that. I kind of like, you know, there's some things I like about Bitbucket. I liked it. I ha or I, I like having private repos. I hated their UI. Anyway, so, so let's dive into pipelines then. Yeah. Pipelines is, I think, some of the, the most interesting stuff that uh, our team is doing right now. Okay. We've revamped our, our entire pipelines experience. So build and release. It's super easy to get started. We support either a visual designer, so you can kind of like click through and define the way your build works. Right. Or YAML. And so that's kind of new for us. We released that I guess it's been a few months now, actually. Mm -hmm. um, but that lets you define your build with configuration as code. Right. So you can check it in right alongside your code. Super helpful, super straightforward. I think that's a best practice. But not everybody likes it. Some people like the whiz-bang GUI. That's fine, too. And then uh, releases, mm -hmm. once your code is built, uh, will get it out to production, whether that's right. in Azure or another cloud provider or an on-prem solution. Mm -hmm. It's the important part of getting your code out of your repository and into production. So how do you recommend people get started then with continuous integration? I think the easiest, if you're, it depends on where your repo is. Mm -hmm. The easiest thing to do is- Assume if, GitHub. Assume GitHub. The easiest thing to do is go to the GitHub marketplace, click continuous integration, click Azure pipelines, and you're pretty much done. Right. So we've got a, a, an extension in the GitHub marketplace to get you into Azure Pipelines and get your build done. And it's super straightforward. All it, you know, it'll look at your code. Uh, mm -hmm. If it sees a, a package.json, you know, it's like, oh, I know what that is. I know how to build that. And it'll give you a, a YAML build script ready to go. Right. So I don't know. Maybe not everybody's doing stuff with JavaScript. You know, so if, it'll look for MS build files. Mm -hmm. and so if you're using .NET, it knows how to build that. Right. So it's super straightforward. And then it'll just hook up a little build uh, notification. You know, mm -hmm. so when you do a pull request, it'll kick off a, a build in Azure Pipelines. Right. Yeah, and, and report all that back. And it'll set up continuous integration on the master branch. Super straightforward to get started. That makes sense. Um, what if I'm using like a back end and a front end? So let's say I'm building like a Rails app or a Phoenix app. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so... With Vue or React or something on the front end. Yeah. Uh, so it depends on how you've got that that sort of organized. Are they in two repositories or is it... One repository. One repository. Yeah, let's say one repository. Cause okay. Two repositories is like, okay. You run yours, and you run yours. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so uh, that's when you're, you're going to have to do a little hand hacking on the, on the YAML. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of different opportunities there. Y you can instrument this with a build script. You know, like, right. if, if you've just got a bash script that does the builds for you, mm -hmm. I mean, it's as easy as just telling pipelines to run that script. If not, you know, you can certainly orchestrate it so that you've got two builds going in parallel, one right. for the... One for one for each. Yeah, yeah, and that way, you know, reduce that the the time it takes. And if this is an open source project, then you actually get ten free pipelines in parallel. So there's two. What are you going to do with the other eight? <laughs> I'm got sure people can come up with something. Yeah. You got all sorts mine, of great ideas. Mine Bitcoin. You'd be surprised. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> people try to sneak that in there. That doesn't surprise me at all. No. So so yeah. So you uh, you just set it up and run it. It seems like com continuous integration isn't a whole lot more complicated than, you know, run these scripts that run my tests. So that's, 
that's the way I do it because uh -huh. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty simple guy. But yeah, some people have like some crazy pipelines they've got set yeah. up because, you know, we allow you to, you know, it's a very abstract mm -hmm. sort of workflow engine at its core. Right. So you can say, well, once these steps are done, then, then right. go do this step and then do these steps in parallel while that's going on. So you can do some really advanced stuff. And, and some people like uh, the Visual Studio Code team uh, are doing some pretty cool things. If I recall, Cake, the Cake build system is doing some crazy things. They're building like on all these crazy platforms all at once because we've got hosted hosted in the cloud. We've got Windows, of course, because mm -hmm. we're Microsoft, Linux, and macOS build right. agents. But you can do even cooler things like spin up a QEMU instance on one of those machines and then run other platforms entirely. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. You want... Are you building for, I don't know, Raspberry Pis? That's cool. You know, use our existing x86 or AMD64, mm -hmm. build hosts, and then run an emulator for right. ARM, and it'll spit out an ARM binary. It's, it's crazy. So some people are doing some cool things. Um, that's amazing. It's not just necessarily running a script, although that's certainly the, the easy thing to do. Right. So, yeah, I mean, some people get pretty complicated. They're writing React. They're writing it in, like, TypeScript or ES6. Sure. They've got to uh, compile it and then test it. Yeah. And, yeah, so it can get complicated. It can. You know, maybe have it build sprites or, I mean, who knows, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, TypeScript, no problem. So, so how much work do you have to do in order to set up a pipeline like that? Well, that's a good question. So... Most of my experience here is with like NPM, right? Right. So, uh, if you've got, it, let's say you're compiling TypeScript, let's say you're building uh, some sprites, that's probably already captured in your NPM description, right? So if I run NPM build, right? Okay, there you go. Have your pipeline run NPM build. Have your pipeline run NPM test. Done. Mm -hmm. So it's since you've already got that stuff set up, I mean, what I recommend to people is always just have your pipeline do exactly what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Right, that makes sense. So can I tell it to do NPM build on one task and an NPM test on the other? Or You can, yeah. Make, make one, if one fails, it doesn't do the other? That's or? exactly right. Now, here's where I, this gets contentious because the other members of my team like this all-in-one step. They want uh -huh. one task that is NPM build, NPM test. I like two steps. And this is, this is the, the arguments that we have Sacrilege. at work. I know, <laughs> I know. We actually get along pretty well around the office, it turns out. Um, <laughs> So just because I want to see each individual step, right. which one fails, if you have them all bundled I'm, together. I'm the same way. Yeah. Where so, did it break? Yeah, exactly. But our default task out of the box, they won this argument. And so it does, it does them all in one step. However, of course, it won't still run, try to run mm -hmm. the tests if the build fails. Um, but, right. Yeah. But, but if you're crazy like me and I want two steps, I can do that. I do too, yeah. You can absolutely do that. It's, it's super straightforward. My build is, is TypeScript. I want to see if, if it's the, it was the TypeScript that failed. Right. That compiler's picky. <laughs> we need to get Anders in here and tell him about it, right? Yeah, exactly. Dude, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> Writing code is hard. Yeah. Yep. So, so once you have it all built and tested and you're, you're happy with that, uh, continuous deployment. Yes. Continuous deployment is as easy as setting up your credentials and telling it what your Azure endpoint and how to how to get it there. Mm -hmm. Of course, not everybody uses Azure. It turns out. So, really? Uh, I know. I'm sad to hear that. But no, there. I'm just kidding. I don't use Azure. <laughs> no, that's fine. You know, so there is actually an AWS extension uh -huh. in the Azure DevOps marketplace. So we worked with Amazon to do that, and it's super straightforward to just set up whatever your endpoint is. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be Azure. Obviously, I hope it is, but it doesn't have to be. And yeah, you just you know need to give it 
audit your credentials and, and boom. If you have, maybe you're deploying on-premises, maybe you've got some legacy stuff that stays inside your firewall, that's no problem either. There's a lot of options to get it deployed there. You can either set up, put an agent on that machine, mm -hmm. and it's a very straightforward. Uh, it's actually a mix of .NET Core and uh, Node. So uh, Interesting. Yeah, our build agent uh, has a bunch of JavaScript in it. But uh, it's, yeah, super straightforward to just set that up on uh, a machine on-prem and... And then it just pulls it? Yeah. Uh, and if you don't want to do that, that's the easiest way. Mm -hmm. But if you don't want to do that, you know, you could poke a hole in your firewall and right. SCP that stuff over. But don't, don't, don't poke holes in your firewall. Um, <laughs> just run the agent and, you know, we give you a lot of flexibility in how you do mm -hmm. do that deployment. So, so you could give it, like, VPN credentials and... Yeah, you could. Oh, man. Yeah, you could. Just run the agent. It's <laughs> no holes in the firewall. The agent okay. connects to VSTS in the cloud and will just pull down the Pulls the down whatever the CD system says is the latest. That's exactly right. That's by far the simplest mechanism. Right. So yeah. it's not pulling from master or anything crazy. It's actually checking in with the continuous deployment system and saying, what's the latest? Okay, I want it. That's exactly right. So what happens is, you know, you'll do a, a CI build and that CI build will stick something in our artifacts directory, uh -huh. right? It's like, okay, well, now I've got it. Maybe produces a zip or something. Right. Uh, and then the release pipeline will say, hey, Take that zip. Once it's signed off, you know there there are various approval gates within mm -hmm. the pipeline. So you know you could require manual approvers. You could hit some you know function serverless right. functiony thing. Check the alignment of the planets. That's exactly right. Once the once the planets are finally aligned, it's time to do that deployment. Mm -hmm. And so it'll it'll the agent that's on your on-prem machine will grab that zip file that was produced right. and just deploy it. However, that usually unzip it into the right directory or mm -hmm. whatever. Maybe right. you need to restart the web server. It'll, it'll just run those steps. What if I have, so so I host my stuff on DigitalOcean. Okay. So for me, the way that I deploy currently is I just use Capistrano. Okay. Because it's Rails and I just, you know. Right. So right. it does the build on my machine. Well, no, it pushes it up and then does the build on the server. Okay, cool. It's been a while since I played with Capistrano, so uh, I'd have to uh, walk through a pipeline yeah. using it. But but, uh, but any SSH system would work fine, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, it's, it's and and the CD system will run Ruby, so it will. Yes. Yeah. What about something crazy like I've been getting into Elixir in Phoenix? Okay, okay, that is uh, a little outside my wheelhouse. Uh, what is Phoenix? So Phoenix is a framework. It's a backend framework written in Elixir. Okay. Runs on the Erlang virtual machine. That is that is crazy. So I haven't played with Erlang since I was at GitHub, and so it's been a uh -huh. while. But uh, here's what we probably don't have is a, a lot of Erlang support in our build and uh -huh. our hosted build agents. But what you can do is, again, just run a Docker image in it. So get your right. get Oh, your you can do that. Yeah. Some CI providers give you basically a Docker image mm -hmm. for yourself. We actually give you a virtual machine so that you can run Docker yourself. You okay. Can, you can configure the, the actual VM any way you want to do it. And that's, mm -hmm. that's why you can do that emulation. So a lot of times, I will just set up a Docker image with all my dependencies in it. So I build a lot of C applications, actually, because right. I'm old. You don't look that old. Well, I appreciate that. It's a healthy, <laughs> cleansing, moisturizing routine. It's the haircut. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, so... And that means just a ton of crazy dependencies right. and, and all this other stuff. So, uh, so yeah, so I have a Docker image ready to go that just has my build environment set up. Mm -hmm. And that's how I, I run my build. And so once you start getting into things like languages like Erlang and, and mm -hmm. platforms that uh, get a little, I, I don't want to say obscure, but I'm going to say obscure because I, I can't think of a better word. Not uh, widely supported. Not, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, even if somebody wanted to do some kind of custom compile of Node.js or something, right? Yeah. They, they could, you know, 
And, and I don't see that outside the realm of possibilities, depending on what your requirements are. Right. I mean, most people won't. I think so. But let's just say it's a possibility. They have some specialized IoT setup or, you know, something like that. And it's just, we took the stripped down node and we stripped it down some more because we didn't need any of that stuff either. Yeah. I think that's A, very clever, and B, definitely within the realm of possibility. Right. So, yeah. Um, I, I think it's going to happen. Yeah. So you just Docker it up or QMU or whatever. Exactly. Um, I think it's really cool how much flexibility there is yeah. in these sorts of things. Very interesting. One thing that I'm curious about is testing against Azure services. So it's, it's one thing to like run it on my machine and have it you know, connect over the internet. And it's another thing when it's a lot of things connect nicely to each other when you're running them in Azure, right? Yes, yes. And so if somebody does have an Azure setup, I'm assuming that it, everything just plays nice that way. But does it connect natively in the same way as it would once it's in the Azure cloud? That's a, an interesting question. So it should is the is the short answer. But you know, there are so many services that things yes. get a little I, I, I don't want to say That's like fair. yes, everything just always is identical and works works perfectly. But by and large, yeah, I mean I will give you a yes with an asterisk. Send me an email if I'm wrong and we'll <laughs> we'll we'll get you sorted out. Right. But yeah, that is the the goal is that everything, you know, just kind of fits nicely together. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Uh, one other thing that I'm curious about is with deployments especially, continuous deployment, a lot of times what you wind up with is you want something that's like sort of the, the test system. So I push something up, it right. goes to test, and then maybe it goes to staging so that QA personnel or the CEO or, you know, whoever's concerned about whatever can go and play with it without mucking with the production data. Absolutely. Yeah. So or maybe I have some regulatory thing on the production data where nobody's supposed to touch it. Right. And that does happen. So what I like to do is... Uh, I actually have a, a CD pipeline set up for, I don't know, for my website. Let me, mm -hmm. let me give you a, just pick an example. Uh, and so every time I merge something into master, the CI build picks that up, creates a build, and deploys to staging. Right. And then uh, I've got an approval gate. And mm -hmm. so for me, it's manual. I just click a button and say, OK, well, I'm happy with this. I reviewed it in staging. And then that'll deploy to production. Right. Uh, but that, I mean, it doesn't have to be a manual gate, necessarily. It mm -hmm. could. Again, it could ping, I don't know, somebody. It could send an email and, you know, wait for a reply. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Or text somebody. Yeah, exactly. And one of the really crazy things, I know a company who's in a very regulated industry. Right. And they need a literal sign-off, not like a click a button. They want a signature on a piece of paper. Oh, wow. Yeah, old school. So it integrates with one of these PDF DocuSign or something. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to say the name, but it might be that. And so there, there are a few others out there, but they're the big dog. So, exactly. Yeah, fair so, enough. So yeah. So apparently you can rest API up some DocuSign endpoints, 
And uh, wow. Yeah. So once that signature actually lands on that piece of paper, release to production goes on. <laughs> so well, I mean, if it can call REST APIs for that, it can probably you can probably do just about anything. You can do it. You can. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, somebody. D deploy by tweet. I love it. Deploy by tweet. And in fact, somebody has a sentiment analysis plugin. So uh, if, you, if you're doing like a stage deployment, so you can mm -hmm. like roll out to Canary. And if people on Twitter start like complaining about your service, you can stop the deployment. So. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. So you can use these gates, you know, is sentiment analysis strong? Okay. I'll, I'll keep rolling out to various stages in my, of production. If not, huh. it'll stop it. That's awesome. It's unbelievable what people are doing with yep. this. Well, the thing is, is if it's something you care about and it's worth the time to spend figuring, you know, sentiment analysis, for example, right. out, then why not? Exactly. And yeah. if you don't have to think about it, I mean, this is the thing for me. And, and I, I mentioned this on, on the show I did with Donovan is that I've become very concerned with helping people have some freedom in what they're doing with their code, right? So it's, am I working on projects I like to work on? Am I contributing to open source as much as I want to? Am I happy with my job? Do I have the flexibility I want in my job? Am I solving interesting problems? And a lot of that well, some of that comes down to what don't I have to do that I hate doing, right? Or and, and so some of this could be fixing bugs. So you set up CI, right? And right. It, it checks the system and it says, do I have any bugs that I've anticipated could occur? Right. And then, you know, continuous deployment. I don't want to think about when the code goes to the server. Nope. I've worked at companies where, hey, guys, it's deploy day. We're going to order you pizza. We'll get you some rock stars because you're going to be here all freaking night. And then, you know, and that's how it goes. And the odd deployment, we'd start deploying at 6 or whenever, you know, or 8 or whenever we'd start PM. And occasionally we'd be home by 10 and most of the time we wouldn't. Right. And yeah, you know, and that's the thing is you have all these tools that are set up. I mean, some of the other things that I talked to Donovan about is as far as like your process and how you decide what to work on and who's working on what and how you coordinate and how you communicate. All these things play into it. And yeah, I mean, if you can just remove the pain points and the friction and get to where it's like, I just want to write, I, I want to write code. I just right. freaking want to write code. And I want a little bit of time to write code that the world can use. And then, you know, th these people are paying me. So I'll spend most of my time writing code for them. Right. So that's, that's the power of this is it's just, hey, it caught the bug before I had to deal with it. You know? Exactly. Cha-ching, save me a couple hours. It's incredibly and Your powerful. boss won't mind either if it saves you a couple hours, right? That's right. That's the dream of computers, right? Is to yeah. actually make our lives easier. Oh, absolutely. And yet so many times as an as a engineer, as a programmer, you yeah. feel beholden to the computer instead. Yeah. So yeah, anytime we can leverage computation and software to make our lives easier, I think we should. Yeah. And you're exactly right about catching bugs. Um, you know, you can super easy in a, in a CI system, you know, it can be more than just build and test. You mm -hmm. can add in static code analysis, which oh, yeah. will catch bugs for you. And yeah. So uh, my friends at, at SonarCube, Sonar mm -hmm. Cloud, uh, are, are here this week as well. So I'm going to catch up with them. But yeah, I mean, uh, we lay that into our, our build process because finding mm -hmm. bugs as quickly as possible before they land in, in production means that, you know, avoids downtime. It avoids right. uh, messy deployments. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is then you can start using some of those tools for the things that aren't messy downtime problems like coding style and things like that, right? Where it's not it, it's not a measurable, quantifiable slowdown per se. Right. 
But if the code's all formatted in the same way, then I can take mental shortcuts, and that makes it easier for me to do my job. That's absolutely And if you're right. worrying about those problems because you have the other ones mostly solved, then life gets a whole lot better. Yeah, yeah. You're in a good place when, you, when you're starting to complain about you know, tabs versus spaces. Yeah. So that's, that's great. Uh, the other thing you can do is avoid security problems because mm -hmm. if, if a static code analysis tool catches some likely integer overflow, Right. You've caught that before it went to production. and before You are a C programmer. I am a C programmer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm sorry. It's just not something we usually run into in JavaScript. No, I hear you. I, I, I was trying to come up with a, a, no, a totally, better example. Totally fair. Totally fair. And I failed. Um, but, you know, we, you see those sorts of things leveraged yeah. into, into actual security problems. Right. So. Well, just to throw another example out there, I mean, you're building an Express app with uh, Node.js, right? Mm -hmm. And they have measures in there to help you protect against SQL injection, for example. Awesome. Right? And so you do a static analysis, and it says, you're calling a direct format a string into a SQL query instead of using the safe way to do this. Right. The and parameterized so, kind of right. thing. Yeah. And so you, you can set your policy to block it, or you can set your policy to ignore it. You know, and so if you have a good reason for it, you know, yeah, just go ignore it. But right. then you're running these tools, yeah, to run security. I'm also aware that there are a lot of third-party tools that do security analysis on your code. Yeah. Um, do you integrate with any of those? Yeah, absolutely. There are a bunch. Uh, my favorite is uh, Whitesource. Mm -hmm. So it does a number of things. One of the cool things that Whitesource does is it has a database of all the CVEs, the common... Yes. Yeah. So uh, it knows all of the open source and third-party tools mm -hmm. that have security holes in them. And so it can scan your code and look for the dependencies that you take. And that, that version of this NPM package has a security vulnerability. Right, right. Bad right. news. You need to update to a newer version of yeah. LeftPad. Uh, and it, of course, it's, it's, it's a graph, right? Mm -hmm. Because you could keep on top of all of your dependencies. Direct like, dependencies. Yeah but are they keeping on top of right. their dependencies? And so Whitesource takes care of that for you. It'll just walk the graph and, yeah. and identify the possible vulnerabilities that you have. And so you can run that nightly because this will happen, mm -hmm. and you can run it at pull request time as part of, your, as part of that build so that you know, no developer can right. sneak something in there. Stop the deploy. Exactly. And, so, and that works for languages that aren't just C, it turns mm -hmm. out. You know, yeah, it works for a lot of languages. Right. Yeah. Your, your SQL injection attack was a, a, a good example. I don't talk to databases because I write C. Right. It's too hard, <laughs> it's too hard to do that, so I just don't. <laughs> right? It's, it, it's all good. Yeah. So uh, a lot of JavaScript developers are also starting to get into mobile development. So we're talking like React Native, NativeScript. What other ones out there? Ionic, which is basically Cordova. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so you've got all these systems out there that, that do different stages or different methods of, you know, writing code for mobile. So let's say that I want to run my CI machine. You, you mentioned Windows, Linux, and Mac, but I'm talking now iOS, Android, Windows Phone, BlackBerry. I don't know. What, yeah. what else is out there, right? Right. I, I don't see a lot of people asking for BlackBerry builds. So <laughs> let's, let's throw that one out for the, for the time being. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll treat that like the C programmers. That's right. That's right. We'll just ignore them. But uh, yeah, there's, there's no problem. You know, macOS does a fine job of building iOS. Linux right. does a fine job of building mm -hmm. for Android. And so that's, that's why we have all those right. uh, building. But I want to run my tests, too. Ah, so what I really like to do is use uh, App Center. Uh -huh. So 
when we acquired Xamarin a couple of years ago, they had this like really insane test process that, that lets you test on any number of mobile devices. Mm -hmm. And so now that's a, a Microsoft product. And so right. that's, that's what I use for my mobile app testing. And so it is ultimately incredible to see the, the amount of various tests that you can run. Because there's a lot of Android devices, right? Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of iPhones over the years, but not the fragmentation of the market. You know, Samsung right. is building devices. Google is building devices. So uh, this will get you, take, you know, take care of you. Uh, I think it even tests Windows phones. Again, BlackBerry, I don't think so. But. <laughs> no, that makes sense. So you get it tested, and then the deployment is a little different as well, right? Because you want to push the app stores. The deployment is different, and you, but you can do that. So my buddy uh, James Montemagno uh, uh -huh. does exactly this. He has a, a CD system that will deploy to either the Apple Store or the Google Play Store. Right. Yeah. So he clicks a button in VSTS, and it, his new app goes to the store. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. I think he's got it documented on his blog. Yeah. VSTS is code for Azure DevOps, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, I just I just like the reminder to people that, hey, look, you know, this isn't a brand new product. They're not shaking out any bugs. They've just rethought the way that they're doing Visual Studio Team Services and made it a whole lot more approachable. Yeah, so. that's exactly right. Yeah, sorry. The number of years I've, I've talked about Visual Studio uh, Team Services. I, I totally get it's it. It's a hard <laughs> habit to break. But yeah, so Azure DevOps, pardon me. Yeah, no, it's fine. Are, are there any new features that are coming? There are a ton of new features coming. So we kind of took a little break releasing features out into Azure DevOps while mm -hmm. we were the big new release. That, that's pretty common. I've, I've yeah. talked to people who have done keynotes at Microsoft events before, and it's like, yeah, we, we kind of stop fiddling with it at a certain point until we make our announcement. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing worse than uh, having Donovan Brown up on stage and he's showing <laughs> off Azure DevOps and we're like, oh, well, we just deployed a new feature and breaking his entire right. uh, you know, script. So yeah, we don't do that. So we're going to pick back up mm -hmm. as soon as Ignite's over. We're going to pick back up uh, with the new features. We actually have a timeline on our on our website that discusses when we expect to uh, to launch some new features, and some of them are secret. So uh, you know, keep keep watching. Uh, surprise! This is surprise. awesome. Surprise! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, sometimes something just lights up, like oh, we've got a new preview feature. You know, mm -hmm. so we kind of slowly rolled out the new what became Azure DevOps right. before it was there. Because, you know, we use feature flags, of course. Mm -hmm. And at some point, we'll give users the opportunity to turn on preview right. features. And so you could see the new navigation. You wouldn't see the new name. But all of a sudden, you would see the way Azure DevOps was about to look for you. You know, we kind of quietly snuck that one in there. Yep. Um, so yeah, so we've just got this preview features tab, and you can just toggle things on. You can set your own feature flags, basically, at some point, you know. Right, once you're ready for people to start playing with it. That's right. Yep. That's right. Uh, one other thing that I'm a little curious about, so I use Visual Studio Code yeah. for my code editor. So what's the interplay between Azure DevOps and Visual Studio Code? Because they have plugins for freaking everything for Visual Studio Code, and I'm assuming that there's something there that talks to Azure DevOps and helps me with some of this stuff. Yeah, uh, I think... I'm like 90% sure there is. I'm not a, uh, <laughs> I'm a VI guy. I'm going to have to go check. Oh, well, I'm an Emacs guy, but I installed the plugin for oh. that. Now I get all the nice key bindings in Visual Studio Code See, along with I all the nice stuff. We I thought we were getting along so well, and now I discover you're an Emacs guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, uh, my main integration with, or the way I mostly think about Visual Studio Code is, you know, through Git. Mm -hmm. And so it just supports that, you know, right. right out of the box. And that's true whether you're using GitHub or Azure repos or... Yeah, you just set up your 
private key or your authentication and go for it. Exactly. But yeah, there you know there are other opportunities there. So you can you know look at maybe you want to assign a work item. And the way I'm used to doing that is just like you know in a commit message pound yeah. forty two. Yep. And we'll link that up for you between Azure DevOps and uh, between Azure repos rather and Azure boards. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of opportunities for better integration. And I know that we have a lot inside Visual Studio itself, because yeah. I actually worked on that for a little while. Mm -hmm. um, but VS Code, I'm pretty sure it's there. I have, I have to go look and remind myself. Yeah, well, people can go search for extensions and see what the capabilities are. Yeah. And I mean, mostly what we're talking about here is tools around the process of writing the code. And so the majority of things that Azure DevOps does for you aren't things that you necessarily need to see reflected in your code editor. That's right. But there are a few things where it's like, hey, you know, I'm working on this task or item or user story or whatever it is. And, you know, maybe it just sucks all that up into a commit for you. Or, you know, there are some convenience things that you could put in. Totally. Yeah. I, in my head, like, we, we stopped trying to make everything in the IDE. Right. When, so when we started out with what was then Team Foundation Server, you know, a uh -huh. decade ago, it was like rich and heavy in the IDE itself. Right. And we've just been pulling that out as fast and as, as much yeah. as possible and to, to where it's not even there anymore. Well, now, everybody's process is different, so that makes sense. So yeah, I try not to think, we do have, you know, IDE extensions, Visual Studio, mm -hmm. IntelliJ IDEA. I'm sure there's something for VS Code, uh, but it's not, it, it's not where I want to spend my time. Right. You know, I like our website. No, that makes sense. Yeah, and, and like I said before, I think for the most part, you're going to see it on the website. You're not going to be dealing with those things so much in your code editor. Yeah, but again, everybody's different. So, you know, I don't want to tell somebody not to do that just because that's yeah. not the way I like to work. Yeah, you get the message that Chuck pushed to master. No! <laughs> Need a little pop-up notification. That's right. It goes to your phone. The klaxons be, be, start going yeah. off. There you go. Be, be prepared for the merge from hell. Right. Anyway... Right. That Chuck. Yeah, the poor people that work with him. Oh my gosh. So yeah, um, if people want to stay on top of this, where, where do they go to get news and things like that? Yeah, so I mean, you can just go to azure.com slash DevOps mm -hmm. uh, and you know, follow us on Twitter. We're at Azure DevOps. Right. And uh, we got all the new stuff is, is going to be announced right there. Good deal. Where do people find you online? Me? Also on Twitter. Uh, I'm at E. Thompson. That's Thompson without a P, uh, mm -hmm. E-T-H-O-M-S-O-N. Hey guys, let me tell you about Clubhouse. I swear, I've used every project management software there is out there, and I hated project management software. Now I have Clubhouse. Overall, it's simple and straightforward to use, but it has enough of the integrations and power features you need to get the job done without getting confusing. This means that I can use it, and the non-technical members of my team can figure out what they need from it. It also makes it easy for me to zoom out and see what's going on overall before zooming back in and specifying more work that needs to be done or picking the next task for me to tackle. They integrate with all the systems that you'd expect and have a REST API for, well, the rest. If you go to https clubhouse.io slash jsjabber, you can get two months free instead of the standard 14-day trial for any team size. Once again, that's https clubhouse.io slash jsjabber. One thing that we do on this show is at the end, we shout out about stuff we like. So it could be a TV show, it could be a... You know, a coding tool. I mean, anything, right? So do you have some things you want to shout out about? Some things you've been enjoying lately? Oh, man. Uh, can I give a shameless self-promotion? Go for it. So uh, I also have a podcast. It's about Git. 
Awesome. It's uh, all things Git. And actually, this is shameless self-promotion, I, I admit. But I have learned so much doing a podcast. I don't know if you feel the same way, oh, yeah. but like having guests on that, mm -hmm. I, you know, people are telling me about how they found security vulnerabilities. It's like, wow, that's incredible. So it's really exposed me to a whole world of things that I would have never, never known. Good deal. I'll have to check it out. Oh, well, I appreciate it. I'm that. a fan of Git myself. Yeah. Well, we talk about C a lot. No, now I'm just trolling you. I haven't written C for a long time. You know what? Uh, I think that might be why I drink myself to sleep at night. So maybe I should stop. <laughs> maybe. No, I'm, I'm kidding. All right. I, I've got a couple of shout outs myself here that I'm going to throw out. I mentioned on the episode I did with Donovan that I'm looking for beta testers for my app for podcasters. Awesome. So um, if you're looking for something that will manage your podcasting workflow from scheduling guests all the way up to finding sponsors, that's what I'm working on. I started building it for myself, and then I started telling people about it, and then they started telling me that I had to give it to them. So, so I, I'm working that out. But um, I would like some beta testers to make sure that what I'm doing works for other folks. So yeah, just tweet at me, cmaxw, or email me, chuck at devchat.tv, and uh, yeah, we'll hook that up. And then, yeah, the other thing I guess I'll shout out about here is just these Microsoft events. It's funny because the first one I got invited to was Microsoft Build. It was like three years ago, maybe four years ago. And it was because I knew the guys on .NET Rocks. And, you know, so Richard and Carl reached out and said, do you want to come? And, yeah, so, you know, been coming to these things. And what's funny is, is that initially I thought, well, I'm not really a Windows guy. I'm not really a Microsoft guy. And what I've learned is that by coming out to these events, Microsoft's doing a lot of interesting stuff in a lot of spaces. So I, I would definitely recommend to people to go to events that feel just outside of what you normally do. And then the other thing, and I know that's kind of expensive sometimes, but if one's coming near you, like if, for example, if you lived near Orlando, that's where we are now, then you don't have to pay for a hotel or anything and you can just come. Uh, the other thing that I would recommend as well is that you go check out Azure and see what they're doing over there. Um, I know that AWS, especially in the JavaScript space, has a lot of momentum. And they do a lot of things that are awesome. I'm, I'm not going to knock them because I use them and I like them. But one thing that I'm finding is, is that I've been playing a little bit with the cloud services offered by Azure. And in a lot of cases, they're a little bit easier to manage or a lot easier to manage in some cases than they are on AWS, uh, just, just through the web interface. The, the API methods of managing these, I've I found are pretty much on par. There is an Azure plugin for Visual Studio Code that does some stuff that makes some of this stuff easier, like Azure Functions, for example. If you've ever tried to test an AWS Lambda on your own, that is not a thing I've ever tried to do. Yeah, don't. Okay. Um, because the only way to test it is to deploy it and then hit it. Oh. But with Azure Functions, the, the plugin will actually run uh, runtime on your machine so you can instrument it, yeah. which is really nice. And so th there are things like that. So, um, you know, go check out some of the other cloud offerings and just see what's out there. But I've been really impressed with what Microsoft has done with Azure. And I think if you sign up for a new account, you get a couple hundred dollars to try it for free. Um, I'm actually looking at it for a few things that I'm working on now. You know, I may move some of the stuff off of AWS just because every time I have to log into AWS and upload a thing, it's just, it, it, it's a pain. I'm not 100% sure how much easier that is on Azure, that particular thing, but some of the other ones in the scaling and the Docker support and all of that stuff is, it's killer over there. So anyway, cool. Um, well, thanks for coming, Ed. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. We'll wrap this up, and we will uh, be back next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. 
Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.